Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, Rookie. Hello, and welcome to another episode, as always, of the Rookie Rundown here on the DWZ Network. As always, I am your host, Dallas. You can find me on social medias, i.e. Twitter, at Salad Galore. That is Dallas spelled backwards. Galore, two L's, not one. Um, Guys, we're still in the thick of it. It's fun. Uh, stuff starting to pop off. We got the Combine coming up this week. Unfortunately, this episode will not be about the Combine because there's no real reason to preview a bunch of athletic events that may happen and kind of talk about things that uh, could or couldn't happen for some prospects right now. I'm going to leave that till next week's episode where I'm going to review and be covering basically what is important and what numbers that you need to actually pay attention to and what testing metrics you need to pay attention to that actually happened during this week for these rookies going into the 2022 rookie class. So there's quite a few names on the list that I will be talking about most likely that have either impressed me, um, didn't change anything associated with what I thought about them, or confirmed question marks that I did have. And so... Last couple weeks, we have been doing a little bit of a series. It has been covering my basically under-the-radar Power 5 players, my favorite group of five players, and then this week, I will be talking about my favorite Diamonds in the Rough in the FCS Conference. That's right. We're talking about the small school guys, the complete out-of-left-field guys that pop up on Dynasty radars, usually only during training camp when they start to get buzz repeatedly from multiple different camp reporters and then you end up getting those red flags going off the alarm bells checking all your waiver wires trying to see if these guys are there Um, the object hopefully for this episode and the one that's going to follow the nfl draft that i do recapping all of the fcs players that have actually been drafted will help you draft these guys in the later rounds of your dynasty rookie drafts and so that you don't have to play that bidding war, that catch-up game during the offseason, attempting to pick them up on your roster, stashing them on your taxi squads, and waiting for them to pop off like a guy like Elijah Mitchell did last year, or a guy like James Robinson did the year before. You'll actually have them on the roster 
and you'll be prepped going in. So without further ado, we'll just dive right in. Uh, the last couple of weeks, it has been one player at each position, the quarterback, the running back, the wide receiver, and the tight end. But this week is structured a little bit different. I still have four players that I'm going to be talking about, but I have eliminated the quarterback position and thrown in another skill position player, mainly due to the fact that everyone in the FCS that is a quarterback is pretty much trash and will not be on your dynasty teams going forward. Sorry, EJ Perry not sorry. Um, but without further ado, we'll just go ahead and jump into the first position, which will be the running back position. And the guy that I am most excited to see and most excited to talk about for fantasy output, basically, in the next couple of years, obviously pending any draft capital and or finding himself in a nice situation, is Mr. Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State. So from a just physical standpoint, he's pretty much what you want to see from a running back. He's 5'11", 205, 210 range, so he's got a slightly slender build, but he's got the height, which is nice. Um, his two-year averages over the last two years of production have just been very good. Um, he has averaged 185 carries for 1180 yards on the ground that comes out to 6.4 yards per carry with 10 touchdowns per season as well as putting 20 receptions for 200 yards and a touchdown per season so he did have a blow up his final year for south dakota state which had these numbers a little bit skewed as well as the shortened covid less productive year that happened last year in 2020 but in his blow-up year in his true senior year in 2021 he went for 1700 yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground which is just pretty wild when you're looking at pierre strong there's a lot to like about him even though he is at a small school so he's quick and elusive as a runner but he lacks kind of the power um that you're hoping to get from a guy who is at least that size. The thing that you still do like, though, is that he hits the hole like a runaway freight train. He doesn't care that he's not going to win all of those tackle battles. He's just a straight-line bullet busting through the offensive line, which is what you need to do if you have that quick speed. You can't have the hesitancy of like a Le'Veon Bell and then hope to get up to speed before you get tackled especially if you don't have that size to kind of break out of those arm tackles early on before you get to the outside and use that breakaway speed. So seeing a guy like him hit the hole as hard as he does and as fast as he does is something that's very enticing. Um, the size concerns are probably going to be the only issues that people have with his game, but again, he's a pretty average back that's about the same size as a guy like Dalvin Cook. People just don't realize that. Um, he's not super small. He's not super big. He's just in that middling frame. He's got the height, and typically you only have that concern if the BMI is super off, but it is not. Um, he's right in that range, like I said, of a guy like Travis Etienne, of a guy, well, he's a little bit heavier than Travis Etienne, but a guy like Travis Etienne, a guy like Dalvin Cook, um, even a guy like um, someone I'm going to comp him to, it's pretty much a perfect profile for a speed running back in the NFL. Um, the best thing for FCS players that is usually beat to a dead horse is you want to see him be the most productive and best player on the field at all times. And that's something you see with Pierre Strong. He is always the best player on the field, regardless of what game you're watching with South Dakota State. His inside highlight runs through traffic are pretty much works of art. He has the speed to be almost anyone to any given spot. And like I said, he just erupts through that hole in the offensive line like a freight train. Uh, his hands are like glue as well. He has quite a few effortless highlight-looking catches, and his 
route running and natural receiving run after the catch is where you get a little bit suspect. So he can catch the ball very well, and he is effective when he's used, but he doesn't really have a lot of route running. He doesn't cause a lot of separation. It's usually just gadgeted up small screen plays to him that he's able to use his athleticism. So that is one thing. It's I say this all the time, but for me, pass catching at the running back position is a binary choice. You're either valid, a one, and can do it, or you're invalid with a zero, and you can't do it. And he's valid. He can do it. Just don't expect him to wow you like Christian McCaffrey running routes like a wide receiver. Um, his pass blocking could use a little bit of work, but it's due to the size more than anything. He he can get the speed rushers, and he can knock guys off of their individual path to the quarterback. But if a guy just bull rushes him, um, he lacks some of that functional strength to really hold up in the pass blocking game. When you're looking at his overall resume, for me, his best game that he had was against Colorado State University in 2021. He had some of the wildest change of direction runs I've seen out of any of the running backs in this class, specifically in between the tackles, guys, which is something that's really cool to see with a guy like him because typically when you have those burners, you like to see them run on the outside so they can immediately use the speed from the second that they get the ball. But he's able to basically run directly through the middle bob and weave when he's in there and then immediately burst out for those chunk plays of those 15 yard runs those 20 yard runs where it's just inevitable that the safety's there just because he has positioning so watching him in, against colorado state is fun it's one of the best tapes i've seen in this class and i don't use that lightly um, but again put the asterisk because it's fcs i just want to let you know that it's a very very good game the worst game that he had was against the university of south dakota in 2021 um, he got lit up in the holes by linebackers uh, pr pretty much every down, which is pretty wild. And if it wasn't for one big breakaway run that he had, he would have had a sub two yard per carry average on the day. Now, granted, that's what you can say with everyone. That's kind of the knock on Saquon. A lot of the times is that people think he's extremely productive. His end of year yards per carry are usually pretty impressive. But the thing with him is that he has a lot of lost runs that are either behind the line of scrimmage or for two to three yards. And then we'll have just a 60-yard touchdown that makes his overall numbers look quite a bit better. Um, it's just the floor that you're looking at with a guy like him not having the functional strength to break tackles or to outmaneuver linebackers with his size or with a stiff arm or with a nice you know, physical move. Um, it's all speed predicated, which is a little bit concerning. But on that speed predicated game, the guy that he reminds me the most of is Tony Pollard. He, it's like the wet dream potential for him, but the build will always hamper him realistically, which is what we've kind of seen with Tony Pollard, where they just still continue not to give him the lion share, even if he looks extremely productive while he's doing it. Um, he's going to be a huge boom potential for you in the later rounds, specifically if you're in the third round of rookie drafts and he got any type of draft capital prior to the seventh round. I'm pretty comfortable taking a swing on him at a running back just because the dynam dynamism that you're going to get from a guy at that point in your draft is going to outweigh pretty much any other running back in that range, in my personal opinion. So I'm a big Pierre Strong guy. Um, seriously, just throw on the tight tape, his highlight tape, and his game-to-game -game, game log tape with his All-22 on the Nerd Herd um, video room is pretty impressive. So going on to the next position, I actually have two wide receivers I'm going to talk about, and they fill two different roles and two different builds coming into the NFL. The first one is wide receiver Isaiah Weston out of University of Northern Iowa. He's coming in at six foot four, two 210 pounds true. He is a big boy. He's not one of those guys you see on tape, and you're like, I don't think he's actually the listed height. No, he is a 
tower out there on the outside. And his two-year averages, although his reception total has been low uh, at 40 receptions per year, he's averaged out to just under 1,000 yards on the season at 978 yards per season at a 24 yards per clip yards per reception average. The dude is a monster on the outside for the deep ball, and he's averaged seven touchdowns a year of the last two years. He is the prototypical big athletic X wide X receiver on the outside, and he wins with his physicality against press over and over and over. Guys just can't deal with his functional strength. He's extremely strong. He does lack that short area quickness, but he won't be asked to do that. He's not a guy that, he's not like an Allen Robinson. He's not a Keenan Allen who you're going to line up at X and then run on crossing routes all the time or run on out routes or quick cuts or digs or anything like that. You're going to be giving him the goes, the posts, everything like that. Um, when you're looking at him, he's a deep threat for days and his run after the catchability in space is actually pretty impressive. It's just that he's not going to get those short ones because he is a long strider. So he needs to build up a speed a little bit more, which isn't that terrible because usually the issue with guys that need to build up their speed a little bit more is that you can be physical with them and you can knock them off of their routes a little bit. And that's why a lot of them don't end up basically prospering in the NFL. But the ones that do, the DK Metcalfs, the Julio Jones, the AJ Browns, they're able to out physical people while they're breaking off the line to where that holdup doesn't happen. And then that long speed engages, the corner can't catch up and those deep passes are just open over and over and over. So playing press against this guy is not a good idea. I'll just tell you that right now. You'll see time and time again, them try to play press on him because for some reason, defensive coordinators thought it was a good idea and it just makes him look stupid. So he's locked and loaded with his hands as well. Um, he's great at the contested catch point. He has some pretty wild contested catches on tape, um, but it's hard to judge against his competition, obviously. Um, the best game I saw for him was against San Diego State. He went four for 125 and one, and there wasn't one big 80-yard reception or anything like that. No, his longest reception was 40 yards. So what does that mean? He had four plays of 33-plus yards in that game it was just big chunk after big chunk after big chunk and one was a physicality one was a seam route where he just busted it wide open to where no one touched him one was a nice post and one was actually a dig that he broke a tackle on and ran for another 15 to 20 yards after that um, it was a great game it's a really fun watch for you if you want to see the guy just manhandle people and again that san diego state this year he went four for 125 and one all with big chunk plays the worst game I saw was also this year, though. Um, it was against Iowa State. He went one for 11, and Iowa State has some bigger corners that were able to basically match his physicality. Um, they were able to basically hold him down on the outside and keep him from breaking out on the outside. Um, the way that I see him play, though, that's why I'm a little bit concerned with the competition. I do want to see him at the combine to see how he runs and how he does against some of the physicality drills, the one-on-ones, that type of thing. Um, but for me, I see Jalen Guyton when I see him. And I know that's not a sexy comp for a lot of people, but people don't realize unless you've had Jalen Guyton on your uh, like deep dive dynasty rosters with big benches, how productive he's been over the last couple of years with a guy like Justin Herbert. Um, yes, you need a big name quarterback to make a guy like this work. A big arm quarterback, sorry. And that's why DK Metcalf works so well with Russell Wilson. That's why Mike Williams has worked so well with Justin Herbert. That's why Guyton worked so well with Justin Herbert. Um, he's a role player, deep target at the next level, but his plus athleticism could make him a realistic wide receiver three on a regular basis 
for the right team with a big arm quarterback. Um, I see him realistically being an undrafted free agent in most rookie drafts, but if you want to take a flyer on a big athleticism guy, if he does end up getting any type of draft capital, like I said, in those middle rounds or early day three, I think you can feel comfortable taking him in that mid to back end of round four, as opposed to some of the guys that have been getting the hype, but ended up falling in the draft differentially. The second wide receiver for me is Mr. B.J. Bird out of Moorhead State. So he is your prototypical slot receiver is typically what you're going to see. He is 6'4", 190 pounds, but he's only a one-year producer. But boy, oh boy, was that one year nice. Um, He was actually a transfer into Moorhead State this last year. The two prior years, um, one was COVID-related, and the other one was basically just kind of his freshman year, didn't get used at all. Looking at him, he's coming out early as a true junior. He went last year for 90 receptions, 1,305 yards with a 15, 15.2 yards per reception clip with 13 touchdowns. He was tied for second in the entire FCS with 13 touchdowns. And although he's undersized, um, he, he, realistically, I see him as a slot, but he played on the outside and his release work and his skills to work in and out of contested situations or presses at the line is insane. Um, he's going to be able to work inside or outside, and he's a truly versatile wide receiver. Um, for his size, with what he's coming in at, at just six foot, 190 pounds average, his contested catches are absolutely insane. It's very similar to how you'll see Tyreek Hill just elevate above guys that are significantly taller, like six inches taller than him. You'll see that all the time when you're watching a guy like BJ Bird out of Moorhead State, and it's just insane. It's one of those things where you just can't quantify it. It's just one of those intangibles that people like to talk about. Um, His quick twitch when running posts is really impressive. If he's running out of the slot, like I said, or if he's running as the interior wide receiver, that Z flanker, on a post route, you almost cannot guard him unless you're playing single safety where you're double coveraging that post route specifically. It's impressive. Most of the big plays that he has is on the post route where people just aren't expecting him to be as fast and as twitchy as he is. Um, so he led the subdivision with 1,313 receiving yards, 90 receptions, and like I said, that 8.2 receptions per game in 2021 was the best in all of FCS. He ranked second in total touchdown receptions at 13 and in receiving yards per game. Playing only 10 games, he ended up putting up 119 yards per game. Um, He had eight 100-yard receiving games in those 10 games, which is just bonkers, meaning he was extremely consistent and was the go-to option on his FCS offense, which is, what again, another thing you want to look for other than looking like he's the best person on the field, which he did this last year. And so when you're looking at him, his best game that he went absolutely nuclear on, if you just want to watch a fun game, even if you don't like enjoy the prospect after you guys have looked into him, go and check out BJ Bird against Stetson this last year, put up 12 receptions for 223 yards and four touchdowns. It was a very Devonta Smith-esque game where they just could not block him. The worst game for him was actually against Austin Pete, which might be one of the worst schools in FCS, but he went three for 37 and one on nine targets. So he only saw 33% completion on his targets and he was jammed on the line constantly, which was extremely uncharacteristic for him. And it made me go back and watch a couple more of his highlight reels, a couple more of his tapes against 
competition where he had less stat-worthy games, and that's really the only game that you saw him getting jammed on, but they were doing something to him. I don't know if it was mentally, they were getting into some you know jibber-jabber fighting back and forth, but they were able to get into his head and slow him up, which ended up in turn, making him have a pretty bad game. He didn't look very good. That touchdown was kind of a garbage touchdown when they were about three to four yards out where they just basically just dumped it to him and he ran in. Um, But looking at him specifically, he reminds me a lot of a guy like Cole Beasley. He's extremely slippery. He's not going to wow you with the speed, but he is deceptively fast. And he has that, like I said, that slippery snake nature inside on crossing routes, posts in an electric way. He's always open, and he always catches the ball when you throw it to him, which is something you need from a reliable slot receiver. You can't have guys out there dropping balls all the time, and i.e. tight ends, i.e. slot wide receivers that do that in the NFL typically don't last long. That's not an issue with B.J. Bird, and I'm excited to see if he lands on a roster during the draft or if he is actually able to just be picked up as an immediate uh, priority for unrestricted free agent basically after the draft um just again one of those flyers that i like quite a bit but i think he's going to get drafted in the middle rounds because he is very very good um going on to the most egregious boom bust player that you will ever hear me talk about but when it comes to fcs tight ends there's not a lot to talk about um but when i'm going in on this guy uh, i didn't know a lot going in until i started my search on the fcs episodes but then i started go ahead and look at some of his tape and he is wild um it is tight end komari averett or averett and he's out of bethune cookman and now if the name sounds familiar it's because he used to be louisville's tight end his rookie year. Um, He is basically only a one-year producer in 2021, but it was a very good year. He put up 51 receptions this last year for 876 yards at 17.3 yards per reception and put up 10 touchdowns on the season. Um, He's easily the best highlight reel out of any tight end in this class. I don't care if it is the Power 5, the Group of 5, FCS, if it's a Joe Schmo off the street, or if it's an all-American tight end this year. No one has a wilder highlight reel at the tight end position than Kamari Averett. Um, It's a my-ball mentality with him, which is what you want to see with tight ends, but it's something that you surprisingly don't see a lot with tight ends, but you get it with Averitt. They played him on the outside a lot in a similar vein that you saw Kyle Pitts be played at Florida, and that's due to the fact that he was just the best person on the field constantly. He has the speed to separate, um, but he does need to fine-tune his routes a little bit. He rounds pretty much everything out. It's pretty lazy. It's just, uh, hey, I'm the biggest guy in the field. Hey, I am the strongest guy in the field. And that's because he's at six foot six, 260 pounds. But realistically, he's going to run in the four or fives, and it would not shock me at all. Uh, his hands are ball magnets. He has contested catches on tape, one-handed catches on tape, diving catches on tape, double coverage catches on tape, triple coverage catches on tape. If I haven't made my point clear, he catches the ball over and over and over, and that's my point. His size is elite, and with that speed to boot, he is the prototypical size, speed, tight end prospect that you just drool off of. But the fact of the issue and the reason that he is at a college like Bethune-Cookman is the fact that he had some off-the-field issues that caused him to end up at the FC level, uh, FCS level. It was a rape allegation that ended up being dropped by the plaintant, but it basically ended up getting him kicked off of the Louisville team while they were investigating, as they usually do. Um, it was dismissed, like I said, but it destroyed his NCAA career. And so now he's an older prospect. He had to take a year off dealing with all of that issues, came back and basically 
completely unrelated to anything off the field with him. He is a dynamic player, um, but whether or not teams are going to be willing to take a chance on that type of player may have the biggest and most severe impact on his thing. So he's the shiniest diamond that they could have ever hoped for at this FCS level to pick up even as an unrestricted free agent after the draft, which is realistic where, where I see him going. But he is going to be the di- the true diamond in the rough for a team that picks him up to where in a Darren Waller-esque status where you get an athletic freak on the outside who just does things that you shouldn't be able to do at that size. Um, my comparison for him is Jimmy Graham. And I know that sounds wild, but coming out, Jimmy Graham was pretty raw too. Um, he was just an athlete that they stuck at the tight end position, hoped him, hoped basically that he could succeed at the position, and then he was able to do so. Um, like I said, he's an athletic freak, and he's a little raw coming out when it comes to the route running, but all the upside in the world is sitting on this guy's shoulder. So my advice, just write down the name Kamari Averett out of Bethune-Cookman um, and pay attention to who picks him up as a camp body. My money is on him being on a roster come next season. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a starter, but he's one of those athletic freaks where if we're all taking shots on guys like Donald, Donald Parham just because they're athletic freaks, this guy puts Donald, Donald Parham to shame. Sorry dry throat right now, um, but puts him to shame. So again, those are my four players, my four diamonds in the rough at the FCS level. Um, there's two out of the four that I'm actually very optimistic in when it comes to Pierre Strong and Isaiah Weston. The other two are a little bit more crapshoots, but I do like all four players quite a bit at that level. Again, the four are Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State University, the running back that reminds me of Tony Pollard, Isaiah Weston out of UNI, who reminds me of Jalen Guyton as the big burner on the outside. You have BJ Bird, the true slot receiver, who reminds me of Cole Beasley. And then you got Kamari Everett, the biggest boom bust prospect I will ever talk about probably on this podcast, who reminds me of Jimmy Graham. But again, that wraps up this fun little three-part episode series that we've been doing on my favorite and most under-the-radar players from each conference and each type of player level that we've been accustomed to hearing about in the NFL, the power five, the big names, the middle tier of the group of five and the bottom barrel peasant tier, as a lot of people like to call it the FCS. Um, So when you're looking at these guys, you're going to see people from all three levels end up on NFL rosters just due to talent rising to the top. The cream always does. Um, but going forward, as I said, we will be covering the combine next week. I'll be going over metrics that actually mattered based off the testing that we're going to see players stock up, stock down that you actually need to pay attention to, <clears throat> as opposed to just clickbaity stuff that we're going to hear afterwards. And as well, talking about basically the next couple steps that are leading up to the NFL draft. After that, I'm going to be covering some IDP love before doing my final pre NFL draft mock, basically, that I'm going to do with all these rookies for all of you. Might bring in some uh, fun little guest stars to go over that one. And then it's all rookie fits, rookie analysis, team analysis following the NFL draft. Um, So as always, this has been a blast, guys. That's the last little bit of the individual conference uh, conference player breakdowns. And let's get ready for some more combine and NFL draft talk over the next couple weeks. I'll talk to you later. And as always, this has been The Rundown. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. And if 
we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.